It's great to see everybody again. I just want to share one little story from the trip, which was just amazing, by the way. Did you know it didn't rain once in Sofia the whole time we were there? I heard it rained like almost every day while we were gone. So usually that's Dave's thing where he just comes back from a trip and laughs at how the weather was while he was gone. So uh, I'm going to enjoy it this time. Too bad they're not here to not care what I say. They don't really get hurt when I tease them. So, But one really cool story. You might remember the first time we went to Bulgaria. Um, I shared that when we were in the airport coming home, a, um, a child with Down syndrome, I think it was eight, ran up to us and was like going to jump in our laps or something. And so his mom jumped out and intervened, and we had this really great uh, conversation with um, the family and just was encouraged by this mom and her her gratefulness that she um, had a child with Down syndrome and all that she had just learned and the joy that had come to her life. And so as I shared this many, many months ago with you, that was just one example of a sign that God had kind of been ruling over our trip. Well, this time on our way back, we were in the airport, and uh, the lineup to check in our bags was gigantic. And so we were in that gigantic line working our way through. And we were standing in front of the big Jumbotron TV that had all the flight times and whether or not it's on time or delayed there. And so we, we were just at that moment standing in front of it as we inched our way forward. And a lady came up and stood right beside us, like right beside us, because she wanted to check the screen. And she's got this little boy who's probably uh, 10 or something, and then also a little girl in a stroller who has de- had Down syndrome. And you just so it's like, it's like, so what? And so I just turned my stroller, which also had a child with Down syndrome in it, towards her child with Down syndrome. And so the lady saw it. And then, of course, right there, like, it is one of the most awesome exclusive clubs the parents of children with down syndrome like you are in if you have a kid with down like you're it's closer than um uh christmas family gathering and so it was great she was really happy and so jackie says to her do you speak english and she says i'm from dublin so like what are the chances of meeting a child with down syndrome from ireland um in sofia bulgaria and so she was really a big blessing, and she just she just left and said, you know, you guys are in for a beautiful journey, and then left, and and it was just like God, how many we haven't like I have, I've seen one grown up young lady with Down syndrome in an airport in the last two years, and then the other two people who are children with Down syndrome have both been in Sofia, Bulgaria, when we're leaving, at at like. We got to the airport at 4 in the morning, 4, sorry, 4.30. We were there at 4.30 a.m. in Bulgaria. Got up at 3. Longest day ever, by the way. When, you're, when, you ha- when you don't have the kid, you can try to sleep in the airport. When you do have the kid, you can't sleep the entire 27 hours it takes to get home. So that was a great experience, which I got over last night, finally, I think. All right. Well, let's get into the Word of God. Okay, um, I'm just really happy to be back. It's great to see your faces. I missed you. Um, if you're newer here, I didn't miss you, um, So, but it's great to see you and meet you. But if you're older here, I, I, just great to see everybody. Missed you the last two Sundays. And um, if you remember before Pentecost weekend where we had a couple of messages about God's gift of the Holy Spirit and what it means for a Christian to to have the gift of the Holy Spirit and an encouragement to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you, have you been doing that? Okay, Greg has. Good. It only takes one. That's not true. The whole church full of people called by God to just be so grateful that we aren't just a bunch of 
um, regular people with a book of rules. We are literally a new creation in Christ filled with God's own spirit who is able to do anything, including someday raise our own dead bodies into life again with the same everlasting body that Jesus has. And so God's call for us is to don't let the fire go out, just to be faithful and to stir up our faith in Christ, stir up our zeal in the spirit and to be faithful with the gifts and callings he's given us. And that's normal Christianity. So if you're a normal Christian, you need to be excited about the Holy Spirit in your life. That, that's not in the notes. Um, but before we were doing that, I, I, we've been working through the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, and I've just been using the Ten Commandments as like a discipleship tool, so a way of growing in God, learning more about God and how he, what He wants us to think about Him, how He wants us to live. Um, when you get saved, God signs you up for Discipleship University. He buys you your books, and he signs you up for your dorm room, and he sends you off to it. It's not a negotiable thing. If you're a Christian, you're meant to be a lifelong learner of how to be more and more like God. And so I'm using the Ten Commandments as just a tool for bringing up topics that God has wanted for thousands of years his people to know about and care about and to reflect him in it. And so we've talked about the first commandment, how God wants us to um, have no other gods besides him, because he wants this great, exclusive love relationship with us. And when we start loving other gods, it doesn't work out so good, right? Like, it's hard to, uh, to do that. And so he wants us to have no other gods besides him because he, he thinks the best thing that can happen to a human being is that we are madly in love with him and enjoying his love without any hindrance. That's God's idea. What's the best thing that can happen to somebody besides hitting the Powerball? $100 million, come on, right? No, no. If you want to destroy your life, win the lottery, like... Most people who get stinking rich immediately, their lives are destitute within 10 years. They, we just, you, know, you either have the capacity to make a lot of money and then you can handle it, or you don't. But uh, So um, just stay with the scratch and wins, and that's it. <laughs> just kidding. I never said that, and we're going to edit that from the tape. Thank you, Stephen. God's idea of the best thing that can happen to somebody is for them to end up in a exclusive love relationship with him. And that's why he eventually sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for sin, to remove all the guilt of anything we'd ever do wrong to break God's commands so that our guilt would not be a barrier against being in an exclusive, committed love relationship with God. And he sent Jesus to raise from the dead so that we could have everlasting life so that our death would not be a barrier from living in an exclusive love relationship with God. And so we talked about many other things. We talked about the command not to covet and how God calls each one of us just to live our own life with our eyes fixed on Jesus and not to be looking at the person beside you and wondering why they have a better life than you do. Now, if everybody in the room is looking at the person beside them wondering why their life is better, guess what? Everybody thinks somebody else's life is better. It's one of the ironies of life, right? Like every single person's kind of like, I wish I had their sneakers or whatever it was. You don't want my sneakers. Um, They're pretty sweet, but they don't smell great after 27 hours awake in airplanes. But we're commanded, live your own life. Because God wants to have an exclusive love relationship with you, and he has a life that only you are able to live. And so live your life and pray. And if you need something, God can provide it. And if there needs to be a change, God can bring it. But otherwise, we're not called to be green-eyed monsters who are envying everybody around us, but instead just wanting the life 
he wants us to live. We talked about working for the Lord and resting in the Lord. And we've talked about other things, including God's call for us as his people to uh, love life and to never take innocent life. You shall not murder. And the last time we talked about um, the Ten Commandments, we talked about the commandment that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so I will read it. It's Exodus 20, verse 7. This is what the commandment says. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And one of the things I was saying is that we can think sometimes that taking the Lord's name in vain is what what happens when you accidentally whack your thumb with a hammer and you say his name or something like that. And that's not specifically what the scriptures are talking about. That That is not a good thing and you shouldn't do it but really taking his name the hebrew word is uh means emptiness or vanity it's like uh, it means taking his name for for something empty useless worthless and the last time i spoke about this i what i was trying to communicate was that god is determined to make his name famous in the world god is determined that the name of the lord is the most famous name in human history and because we're a little bit farther along in human history he's really far along in that story. Most people in the world have heard the name of Jesus. Now, as they were sharing with us before, many of those people who know the name of Jesus don't know him as the Lord. They know him as like a prophet, as a part of the Quran, but they don't know him as the Lord. But God is determined to make his name glorious in the world. And before Jesus returns, God has promised he is going to make his glory known throughout the entire world. His, his, his glory is going to be known by every people group. Everybody in the world is going to hear about the name of the Lord. And we are called as his people to not get in the way of that, but to participate with this. Help make his name famous. And we were talking about the, the power of famous names. And I was joking about the power of celebrity and how in North America we just love celebrities. Love, 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 love. Lovey, love, 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 love celebrities. We can't wait to get on our phones in the morning and pull up a news article or a Facebook stream that's just going to introduce us, introduce us to the latest, coolest person with their computer-generated faces and computer-generated singing voices and computer-generated body shapes who are going to just impress us and sell us stuff and tell us how to live. And it's really funny because there are now these things, these computer-generated celebrities who have Facebook pages, and they're, the, all the pictures of them are just like computer-generated pictures of people who don't exist added into photos of real people, and they have like their likes and dislikes and products they try to sell you. They have like millions of followers. Because we love celebrity. We want to know who's the most important, famous person in the room and then be influenced by them. And this is really true. And I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail amongst all my rabbit trails at this point because there is another kind of celebrity influence besides just selling us stuff or telling us what to think or who we should vote for and stuff like that. And uh, there is the celebrity power of uh, bad actions as well or harmful actions. So in the last couple of weeks, there's been a couple of really famous uh, suicides. So people who are well-known, one in, in New York and one who's like a really famous CNN chef uh, author, and they both have committed suicide. And um, the power of celebrity when these kinds of actions happen is that they actually cause massive increases in the number of other people who commit suicide around these things. Somebody was saying that it was either recently or after Robin Williams um, committed suicide, there was something like 100,000 extra searches for how to kill yourself on Google within a day or two after this happens. And so 
and somebody was saying that like there's this average of of these actions and you know when Marilyn Monroe killed herself decades ago there was like a huge uptick like hundreds and hundreds of more people will do these things and celebrity power when somebody goes oh somebody famous uh, they did this thing and look how everybody's sad for them and celebrating them and talking good things about them maybe I should do it too and so just because I don't know who does or doesn't get influenced by these kinds of things, I just want to just say a couple of things. Number one, if you um, wrestle with these thoughts, these thoughts of it'd be better off if I were over, if it'd be better off if it was dead, I should just go, everyone would be happier if I weren't around. Can I just say, um, please do not harm yourself and please get the help you need, okay? The reality is is that you're made in the image of God so that your life has worth just because God made you. Your life is important to God, and he doesn't want you to do something like that. Um, you're, if you're hearing my voice, you're hearing it because he would rather have you hear the truth and a call to live and to find the help you need and to find uh, the love of God and the help of Christ. Um, I, I have put up a little poster on our bulletin board in the foyer there that's got some numbers if, if you aren't comfortable talking to somebody here but would feel more comfortable phoning somebody you don't know to help you. There's a crisis line there as well as the line for the crisis stabilization unit in town which is a place that if, if you feel like your world is crashing you can just go for a few days to calm down and then to get some help and a plan for what to do next. But one of the things in our culture that makes the celebrity power of these kinds of behaviors really... Um, really bad is that in our culture, we don't know what to do when people hurt themselves in these ways. Um, uh, often there's kind of a defense of the action and then an immediate going into celebrating the life. And there are some realities that kind of need to just be spoken of that aren't spoken of often when it comes to the celebrity power of, of um, suicides. And, and these are the truths. Number one, when people commit suicides, they're often in the grip of a powerful lie. Okay, so if, if people are thinking this is the only thing I can do or this is the only way out, it, their, their minds are usually in the grip of a powerful light. It's just not true that there's no hope. That's the reality. It's not true that there is no hope. And there can be hope and there can be help. Um, the other thing that is also true that needs to be spoken of is that um, when people hurt, do these things to themselves, um, they cause massive hurt to the people who know them. That does not go away. And in Christ, God knows how to work all things for good. God can bring uh, healing to any hurting heart. But when people kill themselves, it really hurts the people that know them in a way that you, they can't, you just, what can you do? You just can't even. And so we just need to say that. It's not like when, like the world of the media right now and CNN is just going to say, it's too bad he did that, but he was a great guy and isn't his life wonderful? And look at all the good things he did. There, there's a son who's left behind. There are friends who are left behind who are hurting in ways they, they can't do anything about. And so we just need to admit when these things happen, um, it, it really does hurt people in a way that is, is unlike anything else, I think. And then also it encourages others to do these things. Um, these kinds of actions are, are contagious. And so um, people don't think about it, but when... For instance, like a famous person who was a comedian um, kills himself. He actually encourages other people to do it. There are people who would be alive today if, if he had never done that. And so we need to, to know that these things are true too. So long excursus, and I'm sorry for taking so much time, but I don't know what's going on when these things happen. Everybody always says they never saw it coming, so I need to assume that we wouldn't have seen it coming either. And all I'm trying to say is that you, your life does count um, and if you're thinking these thoughts, you are thinking, think, there, you, you need to know that 
that there are realities that you're not knowing right now and that there is hope and things can change and you need to get the help you can get because um, you're important to people around you and you don't want to do anything that will hurt other people. I know that. Amen. Thank you for letting me say that. And this is part of why it's so important that God wants his son Jesus to be famous. Because when Jesus is the hero of a culture, he actually sets an example of enduring suffering well and finding purpose in pain. One of the problems in North America, and it's, it's really crazy, like the suicide rates, especially among young men, are just going crazy. One of the problems is we, we don't know what to do when we're hurting. We live just to feel good. Why are you here, young men? Well, I think it's to, like, feel good. What's your purpose in life? I think to feel good. What happens when you don't feel good and you don't see any way to ever feel good again? Why am I here? Okay, when Jesus, the Lord, is the hero of a culture, he, he gives you purpose. You were made by God, chosen by God, saved by God. You have a purpose in life to help spread the kingdom of God and to do good works by his power. And when you are hurting, it counts. God knows it. He, he collects tears in a bottle and he promises that even these light and momentary struggles are earning for us a weight of glory that far surpasses them all. You will get paid back for going through these dark valleys. Christian. It's, there is a purpose. You will get paid back by Christ. Maybe in this life, but for sure in eternity for going through this dark valley. He will reward you. He will pay you back. Okay, so this is not meaningless. And hold on and get the help you need. Boy, that's the whole message right there. But it does tag team with the other thing I want to say about not taking the, the Lord's name in vain. And this is, the, this is what I think is going on. Um, it really matters that God has spoken. There are only two options for this world. Either we live in a world where God has not spoken or we live in a world where he has spoken. And if God has not spoken, then what are you doing here? Just go have fun. You're dead, and you don't know what's going to happen next. So just get out there and have some fun and try not to hurt people, because they'll send you in jail, and it's hard to have fun in jail. If God has not spoken, what are you doing here? But if God has spoken, we need to listen. That's what it means. When God has spoken, when there is a word of God, it means that there is a communication that everybody needs to hear, and everybody needs to respond to. And so this is my key verse that tag teams with Exodus 20, verse 7. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, the Apostle Paul has planted this church in a Greek city called Thessalonica, Nikki or Thessalonica. And uh, the, the church believed this amazing message that this Jewish person has been raised from the dead. And he's the son of God. And if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven and you'll live forever. Miraculously, they believed because it wasn't popular to do that yet. And nobody grew up in a Christian home yet, right? Like some people say, oh yeah, I've heard about the cross my entire life. Nobody had at this time. And so a miracle of miracles, they believe Paul's message. And so he writes to them because he got persecuted and he left just to try to um, not get killed. And he's writing to them because he's concerned about them. And he says, Uh, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so Paul is saying, 
I'm one of the, the thing that, that I'm like so grateful about in you church is that when I came to you, I was just a man speaking these words to you, but I was speaking the word of God to you. And when you heard it, you didn't just say, well, that's interesting. Click, click. What's on Netflix? You said, this is the actual word of God. And you treated it as it really is a communication from the creator of the universe. And he goes on to say that they proved it by being willing to suffer from this, for this message. And so this is the thing. Um, God speaks. And in this commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain or to emptiness. What God is saying is he is claiming the right to be represented truthfully in the world. When you use my name, you have to say true things about me. Don't take my name for vanity. Don't take my name to lies. Don't take my name to falsehood. When you talk about me, I claim the right to be represented truthfully. That's what the command is about. And we live in a world where that doesn't always happen. Let me read a news story to you. I know you love the news as much as I do. Sometimes you're working on a message and uh, the Vancouver Sun just publishes something that is exactly what you're talking about. And so here we go. I'm going to read to you portions of an actual news story that you can Google. It's on the Vancouver Sun. I actually saw it on Fox News. So this, this, this story's gone international in the States where every crazy thing happens. So they probably didn't even notice this. But um, this is the headline. BC couple loses child custody after stuffed lion purportedly transmitting the word of God acted as their lawyer. Okay, so put those words together in your mind. It's not a picture you normally hear about, but this is it. This, and this was updated on the 7th, so this is only three days old. The unusual child custody trial featured the couple speaking in tongues to a stuffed animal. They say transmitted the word of God directly to them and refusing legal assistance because Jesus Christ, through the stuffed lion, was their lawyer, witness, and judge. Skipping down a little bit. Both parents were raised in Christian homes, she in Ontario and he in BC, but strayed from their roots until reconnecting with their beliefs as adults. They met in 2014 and shared a mutual interest in their own emerging views of the Christian faith. And boy, oh boy, those, those should be in quotation marks. And were privately married a year later, court heard. Skipping down a little bit. Their views started interfering with their relationships with others, including Christian communities. Several churches... Okay, so this is not easily done to have several churches do this. Several churches banned them and even called police for assistance when the couple set out to, quote, purge churches of evil influences, unquote, according to the court records. Um, And even after their child was born, they were arrested in West Kelowna, which is just like half an hour away from where I grew up. So yay, interior. Um, because they were trying to cleanse demonic influences. So they were like arrested and charged with causing a disturbance. Um, Skipping down a little bit. After the woman found she was pregnant, she told a social worker her husband sometimes choked her to make her stop crying, had once tied her hands and covered her mouth with tape, which scared her and occasionally beat her court court heard. Um, Skipping down over a section that talks about how the, the husband grew up in a cult. Um, After the birth of their daughter, the parents refused all medical tests and procedures for her, including hearing tests, blood tests, eye drops, and a vitamin K shot. The mother also said she was unwilling to have her vaccinated. Um, And then he explains that the the government was keeping eyes on how they were doing. Um, Now, okay, so here's the situation, a little bit clearer. I quote, The mother applied to change her daughter's name to Jesus, Joy of the Lord. And her own first name to Risen Lord Jesus, her middle name to Refiner's Fire, and her last name to Christ. 
And then it goes on to say from there that the judge did not accept their attempt to um, have the daughter brought home. But and so the, the daughter is still in custody, and rightly so. This would be a case of Romans 13 where, where Paul says that the, the, the ruling governments are there to um, suppress wickedness, which probably so. So this is, this is the scenario. A human being, a woman whose name is risen Lord Jesus, refiner's fire Christ, is in a courtroom saying that the, her stuffed line with her husband is they're channeling the, the rhema word of God through the lion. And they even said there was like in the trial, they were representing themselves. They were cross-examining witnesses. And so when there was a witness on the stand, they would say to the witness, just so you know, Jesus is talking to you through the lion. I'm going to tell you what Jesus is saying. Okay. So this actually happened in our country not long ago. If nothing else, this should make all of us just pause and realize that anybody can claim to be hearing from God. Anybody can take the name of the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Christ, and say, He is speaking to me. Anybody can do that, right? That's just a reality. Anybody here can go on, go home and say, God told me, da-da-da-da-da. Anybody here can do it. It's just anybody can do it, right? That's the reality. This is, you can do it, I can do it, anybody can say. And they could even go so far as changing their name to Jesus' name, so that they're saying, like, my name is risen Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, like, you need to respect me because my name is Jesus. So I'm reading that story just as an extreme example. We kind of need to face the reality that anybody in the world can claim to be bringing the, the word of the Lord. And it is physically impossible that everybody is doing that. It's too contradictory, too weird, just too, it just isn't. So what do you do? And so what I'm trying to say is that Exodus 20, verse 7, when Paul says, don't take my, the name of the Lord in vain, sorry, when, when God says that to Moses, he is telling us, you guys live in a world where lots of people are going to try to do that, where they're going to take my name and then they're going to apply it and they're going to say things I never said. They're going to claim things I never claimed. They're going to call you to do things I never told you to do. So this is the reality of the world you live in. And your job is to have the self-control to not say anything I didn't say or to, to take my name for vanity. Don't, don't misrepresent me. And so uh, a scriptural example of this would be where we can see that God does this is from Deuteronomy 18, 18 and following. This is Moses writing again. He's writing to Israel. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, So he's saying, for Israel, I will raise up a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, he shall speak, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I do not command him to speak of, or who speaks in the name of another God, that prophet shall die. So this is God talking to Moses, and he he tells three truths. Number one, Moses, um, I am going to raise up another prophet like you. So God has done something special in Moses that's unique, and it started in history. He, he started, he created a prophet who really speaks God's word and writes them down. And he says, the character of me using you as a prophet is that what I say to you, I expect people to respond to. So this is why he says, 
um, whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So that's important, right? When God talks, when he's talking to people, he expects to be responded to. He's God. He has authority. He made everything. He made each one of us. And when he speaks to us, his expectation is that we will listen. And if we don't listen, he's going to say, hey, or he's going to deal with it. So, so he tells Moses, Moses, like the same way you were talking and I expected people to listen, I'm going to raise up other people who will do the same thing. And you have the prophets of the Old Testament, you have the Joshua's, you have the judges were a big red hot mess, you have um, David, you have Isaiah's and Jeremiah's and the, the Twelves, you have the Elijah's and the Elisha's, people who were raised up by God who actually spoke God's word, and many of them were written down. And then you have the true prophet who came along who is Jesus. And, and the scripture understands that when God said to Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet just like you, that Jesus is that prophet just like Moses, like the real the real true prophet who really does bring ultimately the word of God to us. And then Jesus commissions his apostles to be his messengers and promises that his, his word will come through them as well. So God's saying, I am going to communicate to the world a trustworthy, accountable, authoritative message that people need to respond to. So that's kind of fact number one. But the other fact, maybe I might just bring this down to two facts, is that there are going to be people who speak in his name that he thinks that he never told them to speak. Like right off the bat, like this is thousands of years ago, God is acknowledging the problem of revelation. Moses, I'm going to raise up prophets, they're going to speak my word. And, and just can we notice, God doesn't think, he, his attitude isn't that he himself finds it hard to get people to say or write down the words he, he wants. No, there are people who think, uh, how could God... God create scripture through sinners. How, how's that even possible? How can he do it? People, we're people. We're fallible people. We'll, we'll get it wrong. We'll say it wrong. They'll say it. And God's attitude is, I can do it. I'm, I'm God. I can accomplish whatever I want. Why would it be hard for me to get somebody to speak what I want them to speak? So God and Moses have this fight right at the beginning of Moses' commissioning. He says, I don't speak well, and I'm, I stutter, and um, send somebody else. I can't speak your word. And God just kind of gets frustrated, and he says, who made your tongue? Well, me. I'll... I'll, I'll I'll accomplish it. Why are you worried? So God doesn't think he can't create the word of God in the world. God doesn't think it's hard for him to create scripture, which is an authoritative word that he expects people to listen to. The problem is that people are going to get excited about all the power that comes along with the name of the Lord and start using it for their own ends. Now, I, I have a wallet here. This is actually my wallet. I got some sweet cards here. I got a Timmy's card. It's got 70 cents left on it. You can't have it. And, uh, I got a BP card, and there's somewhere between twenty and zero dollars left on this thing, and I keep it around because someday I might find out what's on there. Uh, but I also have some other things. I'm willing to give to somebody all of these things here. Anybody want them? Anybody? Where are all the Clark kids? They're usually good for. Anybody want this? See, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's coming up here because you guys know me. And so you are all students of the great philosopher Admiral Akbar, and you know that it's a trap! And you know that the, this is a fully operational battle system, and until you get the Ewoks to blow up that shield generator, you're toast. So, so nobody's willing to try me. Does anybody want to try it out? Come on, I just need one sucker. I mean, one person to just work with me on this thing. Nobody? Come on, one person. Don't creep. There you go. Now are you excited? Look at it. 
Why aren't you excited? It looks kind of sketchy. Why don't, you, why don't you read the words that are on there? It's school money. It's not legal tender. Now, if those words weren't on there, what would it appear like it is? Like, it would kind of look like real money, but it would actually be... What's the special word? Counterfeit. Now, this guy's a trucker, so he's going to take it south of the border where they can't tell the difference. <laughs> You're only going to get 10 cents on the dollar, but, you know, that's okay. Real Canadian money. If you've looked at this stuff recently, there is so much that goes into, like, a $20 bill to prove that it's authentic. They make it out of plastic now because most people don't have polymers in their inkjet printers. So it's just like right off the bat, you can't just use a high-quality photocopier to make fake money. It's made of plastic. And then they put these, like, windows, like these clear plastic windows. You go back 100 years, soon they're going to have bills with windows in them. What are you talking about, you crazy? Throw them in the clink. You know, they have, like, these plastic windows, and they have, like, foil. They have, like, metal foil in them, and then they have these little, like... um, radio, uh, like metal strips in them so that the government can track you wherever you go. I mean, so that they can show that the money is authentic. And they have all these things in the bills to prove that it's real money, right? Because why? Because it's worth something. And because the genuine article is worth something, the counterfeits might also be worth something as well. And that's the issue when it comes to God's name. There's tons of counterfeit because the name, the genuine article is so valuable. The name of the Lord Jesus is so valuable, so powerful, so weighty, so authoritative that you can get away with a lot by saying things in his name. And that's the issue. And when you're a believer, you want to believe, right? When you believe in God, you want to believe in God. And so someone comes along and says, well, if you really want to believe in God, you've got to do this and say this and the other thing, and what's your credit card number, and then away we go. And uh, you end up with a whole world that is... Um, the real spiritual battle is about true prophets and false prophets and true teachers and false teachers. In the Old Testament, it's more false prophets are the problem, and the New Testament's more false teachers are the problem, but the, the fight of human history is over the truth of the Word of God. And it has been since the beginning. Okay, what was the battle in the garden? God spoke to Adam, you shouldn't eat from this tree, and the snake showed up and said, what did God say? And Eve responded, you can't eat from this tree and you can't touch it. So right away, she said something that God said something he didn't say, and then she's toast. She actually took the name of the Lord in vain because she said, God said, you can't touch this tree. And God never said that. And that was the beginning of the end. So I can tell you with all honesty and confidence that the the most fundamental issue of your life is the truthfulness of the word of God. And whether you'll believe his word, the whole thing, or whether you'll think something else. That is the most fundamental issue of your life, is the truthfulness of God's word.
oh boy, oh boy, did I have a hard time working on this message because this is the issue of the whole Bible. So I'm just like reading through Jeremiah, just in my regular Bible reading. I've been postponing it for a long time, like half the year, but I'm going to finally dive into Jeremiah, which is not usually what people dive into for an emotional pick-me-up. But for goodness sakes, the Bible is more than just an emotional pick-me-up. It's all kinds of things that you need to read and know whether you like it or not. I say to myself, and so I'm in Jeremiah, and I'm in chapter 7, and every single chapter so far has been Jeremiah complaining about the false prophets and the people not wanting to hear the word of the Lord. And he comes and says, I want to tell you the truth, but you guys just don't want to hear the truth. And you've got all these prophets that don't want to tell you the truth, and you just love it. And there's another prophet, I think it's Amos, I could be wrong, and he makes fun of the prophets of his day because he's like, this is how you guys roll. If somebody gives you a big meal and a big glass of beer, you just, you're prophesying blessings. You're like, oh, oh the Lord, he's, he's all for you. Blessings and blessings. You guys, and you're going to have kids, and you're blah, blah, blah. Because, and they're just like, this, like, oh, you guys, the Lord loves you. But as soon as your food dries up, it's just like curses and warfare. You guys just prophesy how full you are. This is crazy. And even Paul knows that this is a big issue. Now, I read you this portion where Paul is just so grateful that this church has received the word of God as the word of God and are treasuring it even in the midst of conflict. But he doesn't just start there and say, hey, guys, I brought you God's word. You have to do what I say. 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 He actually starts off with, I am doing all these things to prove that I'm not a charlatan because there's lots of charlatans. So if you read it, he said, let me just read it to you and listen to all the ways he says that he's trying to prove how genuine he is as a messenger of God's words. He says, for yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Oh, there it is, that in vain word. It wasn't for emptiness. It wasn't for usefulness. I didn't just come to you to take the Lord's name in vain in your midst. He says, but though we were already suffering and had been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So I've suffered in another city, and then I was suffering in this city to bring you God's word. For our appeal does not spring from error. So we're not deceived. Or impurity. We're not twisted. Or any attempt to deceive. We don't like tricking people. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak to pl- not to please men, so we don't actually want to make you happy with what we're doing, but to please God who tests our hearts. We want to please God knowing that all the time he's going, are you doing it for legitimate reasons? Are you doing it for legitimate reasons? Are you doing it for legitimate reasons? We never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, no, nor with a pretext for greed. Ding, 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 God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. And he goes on to say that we were gentle with you like a mother and that we encouraged you as a father and that you were dear to us. But just listen to all the ways Paul says he knows that the Lord's name is taken in vain. People come and they, they preach whatever they want to preach uh, for the sake of greed because you start talking about Jesus and the money starts to flow. He knows that people, he says, it's not for the sake of human glory. I'm not trying to please you. I'm not just trying to get a crowd of people around me who think I'm wonderful. Um, And that stuff really happens. So, okay, moment of clarity. If you've been here a long time at Calvary Chapel, you know I don't actually speak about money very much. And that's because, you know, Calvary's a pretty generous church and we don't need two tons um, I do know that thou shalt not steal is coming up, and which is God talking about how he's the Lord of money and he has commands for how we should use it. So I know it's coming down the pipe and we are going to have to talk about money, but I just, we have just as a church, we avoid it like the plague because it is one of the most abused topics in North America. 
Um, there's some guy in the States, Lord bless him and have mercy. He's, you know, out asking for people to buy him a $54 million private jet so he can do inter- international ministry. You may have heard about this. It's, it's just so ludicrous that even like the regular news uh, casters are just like, say what? <laughs> like this is Trump-esque or whatever they say. Like it's $54 million for a private jet. Now this is the thing. For $50,000, sorry, for $5,000, you can fly anywhere in the world. Pretty much. That will get you for about 5000 bucks, And lots of those tickets can actually be first class. Like you could get to Europe and Africa for about 5000 bucks, First class. So that means if you're spending $5,000 on the flight, you can fly first class around the world for 1,000 days in a row for $54 million. So literally, for $54 million, a person could spend three years just living in first class, eating first class meals and lying down on those reclining tables that are actually, you can actually sleep in the airplane and having people wait on you hand for three years, just in airports, take off and landing in first class for $54 million. And the person who was making it, they're actually quoted as making a joke that they need this jet because there's demons in the airport. And it's like, if you can't overcome a demon in an airport, why are you flying anywhere? <laughs> if you're afraid of an airport demon, just stay home. Stay home. Don't turn on the TV. Just stay home. If you're scared of an airport demon, they might lose your luggage. And look, we, we can joke about it here cause, and we still believe the truth, but I think of the tens of millions of people who hear stories like that and they're just like, the name of Jesus is rubbish. It's just greed and manipulation and control freaks. That's all Christianity is. Greed and manipulation and control freaks. And guys, God hates it. We can be gracious with people, but God hates it. So at Calvary Chapel, this is how it works. The paid staff here have no influence on however much we get paid. We have a finance team who is in charge of our our salaries, and essentially what they do is they go online where the government of Canada says, this is generally how much a pastor gets paid, and they hit somewhere near the middle, and then they, they go from there. So it's like, it's that's how we roll. So if you're wondering... I have no control. You guys can be like, Pastor Rob is the best first time ever. Pastor Rob is the best. I'm going to cut a big check. He wants a jet. I'm getting him a jet. You know what? It wouldn't change my life at all. That's a good, I, I, it's a good thing. Anyhow, so what are you going to do? You're living in a world where there is such a thing as God speaking. And I'm convinced that the scriptures are the written word of God fully dependable without any misleading or error. But sympathetically, you can read the news and go, if somebody doesn't believe in the Bible, I could kind of sympathize why with all the shenanigans that make the headlines. And this is kind of human nature. It only takes like one bad pastor to ruin the reputation of a hundred pastors that are okay, right? That's kind of how it works. Just one loose cannon, one, you know... 
Michael Jackson, when he was young, he sang that song, One At Bad Apple, Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch, Girl, Give Me One More Chance Before You Give Up One Love. He sang that because usually people think one bad apple does spoil the whole bunch. If you go to the store and you pick up an apple and you turn it over and the worm inside the apple hisses at you and knows your name, it's like, I'm going to get you robbed. You're done. You're just, the grocery store is over. That's kind of human nature, right? And, and, uh, and so... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching doubt, but I think if, if you grow up in Steinbeck and you just don't get how people cannot believe, uh, just so the, the Christian shenanigans and the misuse of Jesus' name makes headlines. And so we need to hear God say again, you guys have a responsibility to say what I say about me and not say things about me I don't say and like Paul, represent me well in the world. So what do you do? Okay, so here's some thoughts. Um, I'm going to be quick about these, and then I want to get on to um, spiritual gifts. Okay, number one, if, if you're in that place in your life where um, you're, you're not sold on God, that God has revealed himself in a written word, you're not sold on that he speaks in a way that, that changes people's lives, um, my encouragement to you is to do the work to find out if it's true or not. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, uh, the Bible is a bunch of writings and they're chopped up into chapters and verses and stuff so that we as a group can find out where they are, what we're talking about. John 7, um, Jesus says this. He says, these bunch of people were just wondering where his teaching came from. He said, my teaching is not my own, but it's he who sent me. So I'm speaking a word from God. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether or not the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So here's Jesus saying, I I admit that we live in a world where people can't speak God's word or people can just be saying what they think. And his promise for people is, if you really want to do God's will, you'll know. It'll it'll be obvious. As you hear my my teaching, as you give it a chance as you work it out, you'll find out whether or not I'm just making, if this is just Jesus' opinion or I'm actually conveying the words of God. So this is a hopeful thing. God has revealed, my faith is, God has revealed that if you say, God, I actually want to know if you're true or not, I actually want to know your will, if you give yourself to studying Jesus, hearing his words, God will talk to you. God will make it clear. This is God's promise, which is really gracious. Again, he's not just being a bully here. You need to believe what I need you to do. Do it now. Do it now. Believe now. Believe now. It's not a control freakiness thing about Jesus. Jesus knows his words matter, and he says, if anybody is ashamed of my words, it's going to cost you. But when you're in the in-between time and you don't know, he just says, if you really want to know, you'll find out if you hear my teachings. But that pushes it back on us. Do you actually want to know? Because a lot of people don't want to know. And you can do this study. So there's a story in the book of Acts, which is a story about when the church was spreading throughout the Mediterranean area, and these apostles were going around um, spreading God's word about Jesus Christ and faith in him. And uh, there's a story in Acts 17 where it says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. This is Thessalonica as well. I think this is where they're getting chased out of the city here, like I quoted from First Thessalonians. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue, and the Jews there were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. 
So this is God's attitude towards people who want to know if it's true. It is a noble thing to study and find out. That's God's attitude. If you're willing to put in the time, okay, fine, I'm going to read the Bible. Do you believe in the Bible? No. Have you ever read it? No. Okay, so help me understand here. Do you believe in science? Yes. Do you believe in scientists who never use a microscope or never use a telescope and never cut open a... Would you believe in biology from... Would you want a doctor who's never touched a human body before? Uh, you want a doctor who's never been to med school? Okay, so you don't believe in the Bible and you've never read it? It's a noble thing to do the study, to find out what's actually in there and whether or not its claims are true. And so the encouragement from Scripture is you can start off being skeptical as long as you'll be faithful to try to find out and to do the work. That, that's, that's legit in God's world. You can start off skeptical. You say, Rob, David Koresh, uh, you know, Kool-Aid, just my gym teacher, it just, I've just been turned off. Okay, God says, you do the work then. And, and God can meet you in it if you're sincere. Don't just put it off. What about for the rest of us? Okay, for the rest of us here, so yeah, I'm a believer. I believe in Christ. I believe in the Bible. Um, the call is to learn to cling to the truthfulness of God's word, even when it costs us. So Paul says, I know that you, this is First Thessalonians, I know that you really have received our words as God's actual words because you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, in Jesus, in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he says, I know that you actually received our message as God's word because you suffered for it without losing it. And we're not great at this in North America. Usually when there's some kind of like cultural clash about what the Bible claims and what other groups who are angry and have parades and uh, call for people to get fired or close down their bakeries or whatever, whenever these clashes happen, our tendency can be to be like, well, let's find a middle ground. How do we compromise? Well, uh, what are you talking about? It's actually not, if it's the word of God, you, that, how do you compromise? It's the word of God, like God's spoken. You hold on to it. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be a bully, but you hold on to it. You hold on. That's, that's what makes it the word of God is that it, it grips you. It compels you. It has authority over against every other human opinion or every other uh, wave of doctrine that comes along the way. It grips you. And so Paul says, I know that you know this is the Bible. You're treating my words as the word of God because when people came and said, we're going to punch you in the face if you believe this stuff, you said, or you ran away, or you took it, or whatever. We're going to burn down your house. We're going to take your stuff. You're never talking to my daughter again. All this, they said, okay, we're not letting go of the word of God, because this is the word of God. So we're called to be gripped by it. And it's not easy, and it's not fun. And man, I can tell you stories. I have, have not had the hardest life at all, but just time after time again, like losing friends and losing family and losing stuff, because it's like, I have to think this is true. And then if you really want to do the word of God a service to be like Paul and do everything you can to live in a winsome way that you actually do believe that this is true. There, there are some times where people think, I believe that the Bible is true and that's why I'm really angry at you. Because you're not doing what I want you to do or you're not believing like I want you to believe. And that, that's not exactly winsome. And it's not exactly Paul's apostolic attitude. He's like, I... I believe that the Bible is true. That's why I'm suffering for Scripture, and that's why I'm not greedy, and that's why I'm patient, and that's why I'm not looking for glory, and I'm not a control freak. I actually think the Bible's are true. That's why I'm not a control freak. 
and I'm grateful when you believe, and I'm happy that you believe. And he, he calls, and he argues, but he doesn't um, act like this guy from the news story who chokes his wife when she's crying and turns around and claims that he's hearing the voice of Jesus through a stuffed animal. Our lives need to match up. And the interesting thing is, like, scripturally, like, your, your treatment of your wife, husbands, is your legitimacy as a spiritual leader. Think about that. Like, a man's treatment of his wife is what legitimizes him to be a spiritual leader or not. So, and read the Bible a lot. Okay. You guys have been great. You've been patient. Now let's get some, to some really controversial stuff. Okay. I think anybody who's reasonable about this stuff could and, and could just say, there's so much wacky nonsense and crazy mumbo-jumbo and just insane insaneness in the name of the Lord. If you really wanted to honor God's word, why would you ever have a Holy Spirit weekend and talk about prophecy and words of knowledge and stuff like that? Like, why would you ever do that? Right? Why don't you guard the inspiration of scripture why don't you guard the revelation of god in the bible by just saying this is where god talks and that's the only place god talks and anything beyond that is just inviting trouble and craziness and and you and i both know that the wackos come out for holy spirit weekends or whatever it is people could have bad attitudes like this and so let's just address that why don't we come on let's do it i don't feel the excitement come on let's do it Okay, why would you ever do this? Okay, long story short. Long story short. The more I am committed to believing that the letters of Paul and the Gospels are the actual words of God for all time, for God's people until Christ's return, the more I have to take serious the commands of Scripture when it comes to gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gifts where somebody has to say, I think God talked to me about this and I'm going to convey this, this word. So even in First Thessalonians, the letter that we're in, it ends with Paul saying, do not despise prophecy, hold, test everything, hold on to what is good. Okay, so in this letter where he's saying, I'm so glad you listened to the word of God, he says, people will come to you and want to prophesy and and." When a few of them get it really wrong, you're going to just want to just press the James Bond eject button on these guys and just be like, we're out of here. We don't speak in tongues. We don't do prophecy. We don't do anything. We're just going to become Bible people and do some good works and send out some missionaries. And then we're just, that's it, right? Paul, Paul foresees this, the death of the gift of prophecy because of the abuses of people claiming to speak in Jesus's name. And so he says, do not despise prophecy. Instead, test everything and hold on to what is good. So that. Okay, do you understand? So if this is actually God's word, and it turns out, hey, it sounds like God actually knew what he's talking about because he's anticipating problems that we experience all the time in the 21st century. Like, how did you manage to pull that off? Um, if it's actually God's word, that then I have to take serious the gifts of prophecy where God can speak through people in current day situations um, even though the Bible says that these things may not be 100% accurate and may need a tweak and may need some weighing and may find out that some part is helpful and some part is not helpful, okay? So you just, you got to... I think somebody gave an illustration like this before, but it's like, you can't say... You leave, you tell your kid to clean up your room, you come home, the room's not cleaned up, 
Did you hear what I said? Yeah, you said clean up your room. I memorized every single word. You said clean up your room. I went around the house saying clean up your room, clean up your room. Did you clean up your room? Never cleaned up your room. If the Bible says do not despise prophecy, test everything, hold on to what is good, it doesn't matter if I say I believe that every word of the Bible is God's word unless I don't despise prophecy and test everything and hold on to what is good. Uh, the challenge for us is often the test everything part. We can be in the habit of thinking, I'm a believer, and so I need to give everything the benefit of the doubt right away, or else God might be mad at me for not listening. And then you end up in a courtroom going, maybe he is hearing through the lion. Who am I to judge? No, you can judge. Yeah, the judge is right. This guy's crazy. Just like, no, uh, no, 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 no. And so what I think the Bible calls us to is to realize that the Holy Spirit does speak to people and that we are called to weigh and judge. We, we, we can um, weigh on character. So if someone's character isn't there, they invite you to not listen to them. They can, they can have a genuine gift, but if their character's not there, you just, no thanks. You know, go fix your life and then you can talk. Um, their, their attitude towards things like money is a big one. If they're selling their prophecies, I just saw a video. These people, bless them, they're out there like giving prophetic words, and they're like, "It's ten dollars for twenty minutes," and it's like, "I'm gone, beep done, poop nope." You like, haven't you read Acts? Simon, I will give you money so I can lay hands on people to give them the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, "Well, you and your money can both go to hell." And and, and he's like, oh, "I don't want that to happen." And we don't find out what happens. But you never talk about accepting money after giving someone the spiritual gift. It has to be for free, or else you just don't know the Bible enough to be doing what you're doing. And so let me just leapfrog onto this about like trips to heaven stories. Um, And we need to keep talking about this because there will be another rash of trip to heaven books that come out, okay? It happened like three or four years ago. There was a bunch of these I've been to heaven stories that came out. And then um, it all ended when the movie came out. Uh, Thank the Lord for movies. Usually once the time the movie hits the theaters, it means it's the end of the movement. Like once, because everyone's like, I saw the movie, the popcorn was expensive and now I'm done. But it will come up again. So what do you do? People say they're Christians. They went to heaven. They saw Jesus. He um, let them sit on the throne. They met their relatives. Uh, they came back. What do you do? Well, I, I think we should have a very healthy skepticism about it. I, I just think we should. Especially if you never meet this person. Um, number one, some of them are, are liars. Uh, the, the boy who went to heaven, I think it was called by Malarkey, um, the kid came out later and said, look, I made that all up, and I told everybody I made that up, but the people around me said it didn't matter, and so they published it like I didn't make it up anyways, and I feel terrible, and I, I wish I had said something earlier. So that one legitimately from the boy's own testimony was completely misrepresented. Uh, there was the 30 Minutes of Heaven one. I haven't heard much about that one, uh, so whatever. Um, the, the big one was the heaven is for real one, right? And, uh, and I don't know if it happened or not. And that's part of the thing. You don't know. Um, I like what Dr. Brown said um, on a weekend we had with him a while ago. He said, um, I actually don't know if these people went to heaven or not because God has given people visions of heaven or taken people to heaven before. You know, Second Corinthians 12, it, it can happen. He said, the main thing I look for is, does this person act like they have met Jesus? Like, are they incredibly holy? Are they driven? Are they on mission? Are they renouncing sin? Or are they just kind of like enjoying telling stories? Um, so I don't know if the heaven for real stuff happened. Um, 
But what I do know is that it turned into a gigantic money-making enterprise, including Hollywood movie with financial backers who made tons. And uh, for me, that's the kiss of death. Like, um, like I said in the first service, I really love O. Henry chocolate bars. But if you toss one of those things into an outhouse, I'm not going after it. Right? You can have been to heaven or not, but if you're making millions of dollars off of it, I don't care. That is the opposite of how the Apostle Paul handled his revelation. He hid it until he thought a church was going to be destroyed unless he said something. And you need to, like... Second Corinthians, he planted this church. He saw most people get saved. Nobody had a clue that he had been to heaven until he thought the church was dead, unless I say something. Can you imagine that? I've known this guy for seven years. I've never been to heaven. So we should have a healthy skepticism about stuff like that, unless we can test character or unless it's kind of shown by people's behavior. If somebody says, I've been to heaven, and that's why I sold all my stuff and I'm on a mission field, and please don't give me any money. Just pray for me. You, you'd probably go, sounds legit. Sounds authentic. They don't even have a Facebook page. Sound, sounds real. And for us who are just like trying to live life together and pleasing the Lord, um, the main thing is going to be like a willingness to be corrected and ability to submit to authority. That, that's kind of the make or breaker when it comes to our... Should we listen to people if they claim to hear from God? Well, do, do they submit to correction? Do they, do they love the local church? Are they willing to hear a no from a leader? Because if not, then they really shouldn't be doing that stuff. You may remember from the news story, what was this couple's main spiritual activity before the, the authorities took away their kid? going around to churches and trying to cast out their demons. So here's this couple. They, they think, we're the only ones in the world who know Jesus. Poor every other church. Do you think this guy had a personal pastor? Do you think he had apostolic oversight? Please correct me where you see I'm wrong. No, just loose cannon, lone wolf. So when that's happening, people want spiritual influence in people's lives and they aren't submitted to anybody, it's, it's actually a really scary thing. It's not good at all. With all that said, why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much. God, it is an amazing thing that you have spoken. God, we don't live in a world where it just might makes right and everybody has different ideas and whoever has the biggest gun and the biggest sword and the biggest fist is right. Lord, you have actually spoken. You revealed yourself. And God, you, you revealed yourself in a word. You revealed yourself in your son. You revealed yourself through the spirit. And in love, you continue to reveal yourself in little ways through, through people who will listen to you. So God, I pray, Lord, I just want to admit, Lord, we live in the messiest world. And because of the mass communication, the mess is all on the surface all the time. And so God, would you have mercy on a church in the midst of such a mess when it comes to truth, such a mess when it comes to revelation. I pray, Father, that you would help us to really own the fact that you have talked, you have spoken. And Lord, would you help us to be gripped by the authority of your word as we are convinced that it is your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live lives that recommend and commend the gospel of Jesus. And amen.